This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, our podcast and YouTube channel, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. And if you go to YouTube and you want to see us and not just hear us, uh, just uh, put in Spirit Matters Talk, those three words, and we'll uh, pop up. And uh, I want to thank everyone out there who's uh, uh, sent in any contributions to help keep us on the air so we can uh, remain free and open to the public and Right now, at least uh, 300 plus uh, interviews in our archives and uh, tremendous guests. And another tremendous guest today back on the show, Reverend Paul John Roach. He's a native of Wales, who has served as a unity minister since 1988. And uh, he hosts a weekly radio show, World Spirituality on Unity Online Radio. Uh, and we'll have all of that posted up. But today we're going to be talking about his new book, Unity and World Religions. Fascinating read. Uh, and I think especially for our listeners who are interested in contemporary spirituality, uh, much, much to discuss. So uh, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on, Paul. A pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Paul, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. Um, the first time you were on, uh, we asked you uh, to give us an overview of your own spiritual uh, journey. Uh, so we won't ask you to do that again, and we'll refer our readers, our listeners and viewers to our first interview with, uh, with you if you uh, want, if they want to uh, hear your, more of your personal story. Let us, since you've been back, uh, since you've been on the show, uh, you retired from your ministry Correct. And uh, you maintain your radio program, where That's I've been right. a guest at least twice, maybe three. Yes, times. absolutely. And um, and now you have this new book. Yes. Unity and the World Religions. Got yeah. double dose there. Um, <laughs> tell us what brought you to write the book. Well, you what? know. Ever since I was a kid, I, I, I loved um, the mystical path, you know, and, and I, as I grew up, I noticed the mystical path could be found in all religions. And I, I love Jesus. I love the religion of Jesus rather than the religion about Jesus, because the religion of Jesus is a very mystical path, practical mysticism. And I found the same thing in Hinduism and Buddhism and other traditions. And, and so when I, in my ministry of 30 years in, at Unity Church of Fort Worth, you know, I, I would teach from the Bible, but also teach from uh, an eclectic group of other uh, wisdom traditions. And, uh, and so over the years, I've collected a, a large amount of uh, information, but more important, a large amount of experience, because I've uh, I practiced uh, certain elements of each religion, uh, especially Hinduism and Buddhism. And... Uh, and so when, when I came to the, uh, the end of my career, I thought it'd be a shame if all this knowledge that I'd accrued and all this personal understanding, you know, personal experience was, was not shared. So I thought it'd be wonderful to put it together in a book. And I, I wanted to focus on the five universal principles of, of unity, which are not just in the unity movement, but are universal principles. And so I've used that to underpin the book. And I, I've I've explored the religions from those great principles. We also look at suffering and, and how uh, religions deal with that. And, and we look at this golden thread that the threads through all religions. Um, 
Uh, Aldous Huxley, of course, called, famously called it the perennial philosophy. And I just love that. It excites me. And I was happy to, to write the book around that. One of the things that I wanted to avoid was it being dry as dust, you know, because they read a lot of uh, books like this and it's, oh my goodness, a lot of information, uh, but I wanted to keep it juicy. And one of the greatest compliments I got was uh, somebody said that it was like having a conversation, reading the book was like having a conversation with a very intelligent friend. And I thought, well, that's a, that's a heck of a compliment, you know, nice to be thought to be intelligent. But, but I, all the way through my writing of the book, I was thinking about somebody listening to me as I wrote, you know, um, and having a conversation with somebody on paper. And, and so I'm glad that the, the person felt that. And I, other people have said that too, it's approachable. Um, so yeah, the book is a, an approachable um, uh, examination overview, if you like, of the world's religions. We go into depth in some, less depth in others. Um, but, but I think it's, uh, it's helpful for anybody that hasn't really got, uh, may know something about one or two religions, but not the, the whole gamut. Um, and then we also talk a little bit about the future of religion um, and, you know, some of the stresses, some of the challenges that are facing us uh, in, in that regard, too. So it, it covers a lot of ground in the, in the book. Right. I, I would say it's an easy read, but it's very thought provoking. And yeah, if you, you start thinking about what you're reading. It's not so yeah. easy. A very profound yeah, point, yeah. and and uh, I think it was in your last chapter, uh, uh, in the in regard to the future religion, there was a segment in there where you talked about, um, as I recall, uh, human beings being unique in that uh, they have self awareness, but yeah. and that's a blessing and a curse because with self awareness comes the awareness or knowledge <laughs> that you're separate or different, and and we're talking about unity unity and an and, and ultimate goal of unity like that. Could you uh, expound on that a bit? Well, you know, separation or the sense of separation, as we would say in unity, is a gift in disguise, right? And you, you, the fall is, is not a, a fall backward. It's as Eric Butterworth, the great unity writer and the minister said, it's a fall forward. So when you, when you have a sense of separation, you, there's a sense of loss, you know, from the the, the unity of experience, the Shangri-La, whatever, the golden age. But you can't return, can you? You can't come home unless there's a sense of having left home. So uh, in a sense, therefore, it's a blessing, right? So you, I think the Bible, for instance, is a journey from this sense of loss, you know, in the, in the Garden of Eden, all the way to Revelation, where there's that sense of unity there again at the end, where the, the, the healing waters and the... the the river and the trees of living truth and, and power are there in our souls, you know, because this is an inner journey um, fr from that sense of being uh, bifurcated, as I like to say, split off from our, uh, our oneness, home to uh, oneness again. And we, we feel it all during our lives. You have those moments, you know, where you make connections to oneness and, and then you lose it again. You fall into the trap of uh, them and us. But, but really, it's, it's a gift, I think, that God gives us, you know, because it, it's part of free will, too. We get the, the, we get the choice to, to see the dark and the light, you know, and the ultimate journey is to bring the dark and the light together as one. You know, T.S. Eliot said at the end of the Four Quartets, he said, the, the rose and the fire, you know, come together as one. He's talking about the, the, the beauty and the horror come together. In, in our unity. And, and, you know, that's always the work we have to do, right? The, to, to marry those two together. 
Uh, Paul, the uh, book, a lot of people have written about uh, the perennial philosophy and, of course, comparative religions. Right. Um, you um, are doing it, it within the framework of uh, unity, uh, unity with a capital U, meaning the um, unity church or the unity right. uh, movement, right. um, of which you're uh, an ordained minister. Um, this golden thread that you talk about that runs through all the traditions that uh, the perennialists, you know, identify as well. Um, would you say that unity, the founders of unity, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, would, did they acknowledge, did they recognize back in the 18 uh, hundreds, the um, golden thread you're talking about, or is this something you're seeing from a current perspective? Oh yeah, very much so, I believe, because they they, um, they were eclectic in their own right and, and studied from many traditions, right? From the Buddhist tradition, the Hindu, uh, from the esoteric tradition. Uh, they came out of Christian science, what was called Christian science then, um, we call it new thought now because um, Mary Baker Eddy took out a copyright, you know, on the on the term Christian mm -hmm. science. But it, there's there's a sort of scientific basis to to new thought, you know, it, it, it's practical spirituality. So yeah, I think they they were very well aware. They were definitely uh, Jesus Christ centered, um, but they understood Jesus Christ in a spiritual way, not in a literalist way. And, um, and, and so, yeah, they, they were very open, I think, to this, this perennial philosophy. In fact, they were present at the first parliament of the world's religions, you know, back in 1893, when uh, Swami Vivekananda got up and did that amazing speech there, welcoming, uh, uh, the, uh, really connecting Hindi tradition to the, to the West for the first time. Um, in that overt sense. So they were there for that. And um, I think as, as Charles and Myrtle, especially Charles, I think Myrtle always had this deep mystical connection. But as Charles uh, grew older, his books became more and more unitive, more and more mystical, more and more talking about this uh, perennial philosophy. And um, he, he, was, he, was, but he was always intent about, it's not good enough just to know it, you know, in the head. You have to really live it and feel it and experience it in your heart. And I think that's what excites me. And in the book, I've, I've shared throughout the book my own personal experiences of the unitive experience, the perennial philosophy, and, and how it's worked for me. So I think that makes the book a little different. It's not just a reporting of information it's it's a sharing of my own particular experience about about uh, world religions and and the essential connection the golden thread within them right uh, <clears throat> i'm curious when you uh, came up with the title unity and world religion so uh, you know in the book it's clear why you call the book that but when you see the title uh you often think or at least i thought unity and world religions well y religions are very <laughs> have been the major cause of division in the world yeah. uh, from time immemorial. So, uh, yeah. so where does that head? Do we head to a point where uh, all religions unify under common principles and it's not, a ne not necessary to have various religions or uh, do they keep the various religions and the, the folks within those religions evolve so they see the uh, unifying principles of their religion? Because again, 
if you mention religion, you can't mention it without thinking of division in the world. Absolutely. And really, the book is a call to rise up beyond that. You know, we, we, we talk about some of the differences and some of the aberrations that uh, we see in various religions. And I talk about fundamentalism. I, uh, I talk about the, the fact that Christianity has had a check at history, for example. And so there's some other religions. So we, we don't shy away from that. What we're trying to avoid, though, is some kind of syncretic idea, which is makes all religions one, right? Right. We're not about that. It's it's not unity in that sense. You must all believe the same thing. We we honor diversity. Uh, diversity is healthy. Just just as anybody living in a community, you know, there's a variety of people, a variety of uh, uh, shades of understanding, and and the way we look and the way we act. So we celebrate that, but. But we all share a commonality, you know. We all want to be kind to our children. We we all want to get along. Um, we want we want we have the same higher virtues, and that's what we're talking about. Um, is the unity uh, of of deep core purpose of our lives, right? And of course, the essence of it is is love, I believe. And uh, we talk a lot about this in the book, you know, that uh, compassion and love seem to come out all the way through as as the highest virtues and. That's the unity we're talking about, not making everybody think or feel the same way about things. No, it's a celebration of diversity. I think that's important. But Paul, we, we've talked about what you call the golden thread. Yeah. Um, maybe we should uh, uh, dig down a little bit in that for our listeners. Uh, okay. What is the golden thread? I think it means many things to many people, probably, you know, um, again, and that's the thing about unity. You know, we, we say uh, it's hard to pin down unity. What does it mean? Because I think unity, both as a movement and as an idea, the idea of unitive understanding means different things to different people. Right. Um, and, and that's OK. You know, I think we have to uh, rest in, in the questions sometimes and not have all the answers. Uh, that can be equally rich. So we're not trying to come up with definitions of what things are, but rather an experience of it. You know, if I if I have a mystical experience, say, as I've had, you know, in nature where um, something has happened and I see the, the, the unity of everything and I feel the joy and, and um, exuberance of life, uh, you know, that, that that's unique to me. I can't I, I can't put you in the same situation, expect you to have the same unity of experience. It's not going to happen, but you'll have your own. You, 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 you may have it in a different context altogether. Um, and, but that's the, what I, but I, what the important thing is, I think what you may experience in your unique way and what I experience are probably similar in, in, the, in their essence, in their core, but we get to it in different ways. So I think the golden thread is a bit like that. Um, it, it, we are unwise to try and define it. Um, it's like the Tao, you know, the Tao that could be explained is, or, you know, talked about is not the true Tao, right? And, and I think this is the same with the, with the golden thread. We have to treat it with uh, a certain, certain delicacy, a certain tenderness here, because otherwise, um, like I can't force you to love the same way I love, right? I, I don't even know how I love. I just do it from my own personal experience uh, and volition. And I trust that you do it. But I think what we're touching when we do love is probably the same core uh, that God uh, has, has poured out into us from the beginning of time. So, yeah, we, we don't want to define everything. Right. Uh, question. Uh, uh, many, if not most religions, 
<clears throat> have a tremendous amount of ritual associated with them. Yes. Uh, from your experience, is ritual something that leads to unity or is it something that uh, actually works against unity? Both. <laughs> <laughs> okay, elaborate. Yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's famous in the dead rituals. You know, I used to tell a story in the book about the, uh, the people on an island who couldn't do the rituals right. So they got a cardinal to come over to teach them how to do it rightly. And it's, he spent, you know, years to teach them. And as soon as he thought they got it, he, he left, you know, across the sea back to Rome. And only about an hour later, you know, they'd forgotten the ritual again. So they, they started rushing after him across the sea and they were, they were walking across the water. And he looks back at them and they shouting, please come back, we need your help. We've forgotten the ritual. And he says, listen, <laughs> if you can walk on water, you don't need the rituals, you don't need me. So, you know, I love that story because, uh, story. yeah, that, that's basically the, sums up what ritual is about. You know, ritual can be wonderful. Um, I love uh, certain Hindu rituals and honoring of certain gods, right? Uh, other people may think that's total idolatry, but it, it, they can be, ritual can be a portal or it could be a barrier, you know? So um, we, again, we have to use discernment and wisdom. Uh, and I think when you get too overly involved with ritual, then there, there's always that cleansing, right? There's the iconoclast, they come and break the idols down. Uh, they, they, they sweep everything away. They go from one extreme to the other. The, the Buddha was a reaction to the overly ritualistic uh, Brahmin priests of, of, his, of his day. Um, you know, uh, George Fox of the Quakers, it was in reaction to the deadening uh, liturgy of uh, the, the Anglican church. So there's, there's always those people that come along and break down the ritual. But, but I, I think it can be useful. It can, it can be very in, enhancing to our spiritual path, as long as we don't get hooked on it and think that's the only way to, to reach the divine. You know? uh, I want to uh, add that I think that the story you told, that little allegory, was right. written by Tolstoy. Is that, is that what it's, yeah, from the kingdom of God is within you, I think. Something, that, yeah, I don't remember, yeah. but I do believe he he composed that or related yeah. a traditional story. Um, right. Paul, you know, now that the subject of ritual comes up, and, and, uh -huh. and Dennis asked if it leads to unity or uh, division, and you said both, um, Tell me if, if you've had the same experience I have. Um, if you bring people together from who follow different paths and different traditions, and they share rituals, um, the rituals are different. The division will come up if people say, well, we're doing it the right way and you're not. Right. <laughs> and our ritual is better than yours. But the unity comes because wh whoever's doing the ritual will have a similar experience. Mm -hmm. Is that, and there's something that about that that brings people together when they share rituals. Do you do you find if, that? If it's done sensitively, I think that's true. You know, that's what the uh, interfaith movement is in, attempting to do. Right, is to bring people together in a gentle way where. We honor the the differences, but uh, we we participate. And we see we appreciate their dedication, and and hopefully they appreciate ours. So it it, it doesn't always work, you know, because um, you can't force people to think a certain way. Um, but when it does work, I think it, it can be quite remarkable. So 
yeah, that, I think that's the aim. You're, you're right. Uh, uh, Paul, uh, you've been a minister since 1988. A lot of experience, I'm sure, a lot of interaction with people. Somebody mm -hmm. comes to you and they say, uh, I'd like to pray. Uh, I've heard a lot about prayer. What would you recommend to them? I, I, I've actually spent some time recently speaking to different people from different traditions about what they mean by prayer, what they do. I'm curious what you would recommend to people or uh, what you do yourself or don't do yourself. Yeah, that's a good question because uh, there are a million ways to pray, right? And, um, and of course, from the unity perspective, we pray affirmatively. We're not begging people uh, or beseeching God so much as aligning our consciousness with God. So, you know, I would phrase my uh, prayers and I, I like to do spontaneous prayers. We do a lot of spontaneous prayers in unity rather than rituals um, or liturgy. Um, and, and begin, you know, in a very natural way where we where we are right now and then and go from there. But, you know, tell you the truth, I, I invite people to to pray with me rather than me pray with them, because um, some people are just ready to pray. Actually, they're ready to say something, but uh, they're, they're a little afraid. So when, when they ask, you know, will you pray? Sometimes they want to actually pray and then I can join in with them. That's not always the case, but I like to give people the opportunity to, to open their, their hearts in that way, um, rather than me trying to, you know, tell them or, or pray with, for them. Uh, I think there's a difference there, but um, the bottom line is it has to be natural, right? Um, right. Prayer's not difficult. It's just the, the soul opening its, its mouth and its heart to the universe. And uh, it, it's a natural thing. I think if we, if, People are afraid of it because they think there's, oh, there's a special technique or whatnot. And of course, there's a million techniques in prayer. And if you're willing to practice those disciplines, you can follow those techniques. But essentially, it's, it's natural. It's, it should be natural and spontaneous. Uh, you know, I think it was Meister Eckhart that said, if the only prayer that you ever say in your life, right, is thank you, God, then that would be enough. And, uh, you know, that, you can't get more natural, simple than that. So I think he's right, you know. But it's a big subject, that prayer subject, and, and I talk about it at length in the book because it's one of the four, one of the five principles, number four of the uh, five unity principles, and it's common to every single religion. There's no religion that doesn't emphasize prayer and meditation. So yeah, it's it's the uh, uh, I think Charles Fillmore called it the most highly accelerated mind action known to humankind, which I like. The most highly accelerated mind action. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I hope I'm not getting this wrong, but I think the, uh, the writer Anne Lamott said there are essentially three prayers, help, thanks, and wow. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I, I hope I got yeah. that right. Um, yeah. Paul, um, in the book, an organizing uh, uh, structural uh, uh, motif is uh, the five principles of right. unity. Can you uh, tell us how uh, these five principles came about? Uh, because it's not something that was in the origins of, of unity as such, um, and, and what they are. Yeah, it, it's all, they've always been there in the core principles, core teachings of unity. But I think in the 70s, I think it was, where um, we were trying to, the unity movement was trying to come up with something relatively simple, but all-encompassing. Um, that people who are new to unity could get their heads around 
as the the, the, the the essence of what unity is about. And so we started calling them the five principles and they started showing up in various forms. And I think they've, they've morphed over the years in, in, the, in the verbiage, but the essence is the same. Um, and the, the, the verbiage I use in the book, I think is the latest one, the, the latest uh, iteration of it. Um, but basically, you know, they, they sum up our, our viewpoint towards uh, the universe and, and who we are and our role in it. You know, there's one presence, one power. There's, there's, there's no dualism. If God is all powerful, omnipresent, etc., there cannot be an opposing force. So that there's no devil in, in, in unity and in the unitive idea. There's evil, maybe, which is a, a, a twisting of the good in, in, in our own hearts, but not, not as a power. So that, and then leading on from that, if there's only the one presence and one power everywhere present, then I'm part of that. So I have a, my essence is the divine, is, is oneness. So that's the second principle. Um, the third one is that we look around and we see the way the world works, you know, according to these universal laws, the laws of reciprocity, what goes around, comes around, the, the wheel of Dharma, um, uh, and, and the, the wheel of samsara, actually, in Buddhism, is the same, you know, the, the, the wheel that leads us into trouble is also the, the wheel that frees us, you know, that's the, one of those conundrums, and that's a lot, of, we talk a lot about conundrum, by the way, in, in the book. Because, you know, we have to be comfortable with paradox if you're going to be on the spiritual path. I know you wrote a book, book about that, uh, Phil. Um, and uh, the fourth principle is, is prayer and meditation, uh, to connect to God. And then finally, you know, it's, it's action. It's, none of this is any good unless you're willing to, to put it into practice in your life. So they're, they're really overarching. They sound very simple. But, but really, that if you start to apply and live all these principles, then your life's going to be totally transformed, you know, because you move away from duality to oneness, you accept your own divinity, you, you understand the, the subtlety of the law and how it unfolds, you, you, you connect to God through prayer, and, and then you live it. So it's a full system that right there. Now you see, you know, I've, I've explained in depth how you see those five principles showing up in each religion in their own different ways. But by the way, you both mentioned before some fundamental prayers. I've also heard it said, the one and only prayer is let thy will be done, not my will, but thy will. And yeah, so I think that you'll be, uh, uh, you can get very, they all go to the basics. But my question is, uh, uh, as a unity minister, I mean, uh, in my religious upbringing, as a, uh, in Catholicism, there was a, as much talk and more talk about what happens in the afterlife than in this life. I have right. a real emphasis on that. And uh, they, they don't always do it in the affirmative way. Uh, as a unity minister, uh, when you preached or talked or it was a funeral, somebody talked about the afterlife. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, we believe in the continuity of life because, um, you know, we, we don't think that life and death are the two uh, contradictions, you know, the two opposing forces. It's, it's birth and death, you know. Everything that's born is going to die, but life continues. So life is the continual uh, presence. And uh, it, it's, it, so when we're born, we're born into this frail and temporary human body, but we are more than that because we are life itself. And the, the spark of divinity that's within us is going to continue. How it continues is a subject of conjecture, right? Um, some people say that, you know, we go to heaven or hell or whatever. Um, in unity, you would probably say that, that, that heaven and hell are states of consciousness that we can experience in our lives today. 
and that wherever we are at, you know, in some total at the end of our lives is probably what we're going to experience in the next, uh, whatever it is, incarnation or whatever. Uh, Charles Fillmore did say that he, he believed generally in reincarnation, but it wasn't one of his core teachings. Um, you know, so uh, Jesus constantly, you know, consistently told people, don't worry about it, you know. I am God. God is God of the living, not of the dead. So don't hassle around what's going to happen later. Get your life right now. And I'm a big proponent of that because I think if you do that, then whatever happens next is going to be okay. But you know, in my in my funeral services, memorials, you know, I usually quote from the from the Bible and talk about Jesus's promise that there are many rooms in God's great house of life and. Um, and that there's that continuity, and we can trust that. And uh, and, I, and I believe that's to be true as well. So it's all a matter of consciousness. You know, when I first came into Unity, somebody came up to me and said, the three words you need to remember, life is consciousness. And it's probably true. You know, it, it, that that's the key to opening or closing many doors. So if, you, if your consciousness stays dark and limited, whoa, you're going to receive that. And, and if your consciousness opens to infinite possibility, you're going to receive that. And really, that's heaven and hell right there, you know. All these five uh, fundamental principles. Yeah. Um, it's, it would seem to me that if you, if you said to somebody in any of the major religions that you cover in the book, well, not any of them, but the, the, certainly the, the Abrahamic, the Western ones, and you right. said, uh, these five principles are found in your tradition. A lot of uh, conventionally religious people would say, no, they're not. You know, I don't see them. I, I go to church. I go to synagogue. I go to mosque. I don't, I don't see those. Did you have to search? Did you have to look in the corners to find those uh, five principles in common? in all the traditions? Well, certainly not the first one, because, you know, the, the, all the Abrahamic religions, the people of the book, emphasize the, uh, the power and authority and almightiness of God. Um, you know, Islam, they're particularly strong, um, but Judaism as well, you know, the uh, hero Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Um, uh, you know, so, yeah, it's, it's in all those, and I would say it's in... Um, you know, in Hinduism, God, God is formless, but takes many forms. He's the formless one, the undifferentiated one. Um, Buddhism doesn't have a God as such. Um, but, but you know, the God is just a, a, a label for this essence, right? And uh, this essence is a divinity of wholeness of oneness. And I think Buddhism certainly understands that very keenly and has many names for it. You know, maybe... maybe um, Buddha, uh, well, sunyata, emptiness, um, would, would be one. But, uh, you know, it, it approaches it from a, a spiritual, psychological viewpoint, the, the Buddhism. So it's a little different, but prayer is universal. Uh, putting it into practice is universal. I mean, all religions emphasize giving alms and being kind to people, etc. cetera. Um, and, and the law is consistent throughout all religions. The, the one that might be a hang-up is the second one, the nature of our divinity, right? And uh, I talk about it in the book, you know, uh, Christians believe we are defined by adoption, many Christians, traditional Christians, um, through the, the blood sacrifice of Jesus. And, um, you know, we, we don't subscribe to that in unity, but I, I can understand what, it, what they're talking about. 
but we, we see it in a more universalist way that it's not just the literal blood, but the, the life-giving energies uh, that were in Jesus are also in us, you know. Um, but uh, this div the divine is present in, uh, in, in Judaism, certainly in Hinduism, Buddhism, Buddha nature, uh, the Tao. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think the, the, you don't have to go far to find these, uh, these principles alive and well in, in the religions. They may be phrased differently, but they're there. And I explain them in the book. So, you know, it, I, no, I didn't have to go far to find them. Paul, uh, one final question from me, and that is, uh, what do you hope people get from reading your book, Unity in World Religions? Well, I, I hope that it's useful. I think uh, from a purely unity audience point of view, um, there is no book quite like this in, in the, the books that have been written uh, in unity so far. So it, it, it fulfills a need there for those people that want to see how unity fits into the rest of the uh, the. the the pantheon of religions throughout the, the world. I also think it's valuable for people who are looking for unity and, and oneness connectedness in a, in a di divisive world, which we're in right now. I think, I think it would be helpful for, for those people. Um, I, I think it's an affirmative book. Um, I think if, you, if you're interested in a particular religion, uh, you can find something there in it, even if you only want to read a couple of the chapters. And if you are a student of one religion, but want to find out the, you know, the correlation and co commonalities with another, then it's useful for that too. It has a large bibliography. Um, so yeah, we took a lot of work to put together and a, and a fairly big index for the size of the book it is. So there's a lot of information jammed into that book. I can't believe how much information I was... I was able to get in there and, and, and not just the information, but my interpretation of it. I tried to uh, consistently present it so, so that it makes sense. So I, I think it's, um, it's meaningful to a lot of people. So, and I hope it sells well, of course I do. Uh -huh. but, well, uh, you'll have the, uh, the, the famous Spirit Matters bump in sales as soon as it's there. Um, Thank you, God. <laughs> um, one last quick question, Paul. Your your last chapter is called The Future of Religion. Yeah. We have a couple of minutes. How do you see the future of religion? And is there anything we can do to make it better? Well, you know, uh, human beings are always going to be searching for, you know, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? Those universal questions. And so there's going to be a future for religions, but I think there's some stresses that you know, we're dealing with. Um, people are tired of re religion as such, like uh, Dennis you know, mentioned earlier, uh, they call themselves spiritual, but not religious. So there's, there's that trend going on. Um, religions tend to renew themselves. That's the good side. I think some of the stresses are how do we deal with um, artificial intelligence? That's huge because as machines become self-aware or they think they're self-aware, they may have their own religion, you know, they may have their own desire to be autonomous. And that's going to present some challenges uh, around what, what's the nature of God, etc. Uh, climate change is another stressor. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of things that are uh, going to be, and, and how, many, how many years can we live with Iron Age books? I mean, the, the, all the magnificent books of the of religion are great. But they were written, you know, 2,600 years ago, a lot of them, um, 2,000 years ago. So we've gone on from there, right? We have to, we have, to have modern scriptures uh, as well. 
Um, not to say that, that what we've got is bad, but the, you know we can't just have that. We've progressed in so many ways. So that's another. How do we how do we find these new revelations uh, of divine truth? You know that's going to be interesting too. So there's lots lots of things. I'm an optimist, so I think you know all will be well. But um, but we we you know it's, there's many challenges that it'll be exciting. Great. Then, well, thank you, Paul. Again, unity and world religions a great read and uh very thought-provoking and if you it's, it's it's a fun book to read with other people because it's endless discussion well that will come from the book thank you and there is a study guide too um that's available on a pdf uh if you'd like to get hold of that if you're going to do it as a study or even a, as a class study that that uh that that study guide is very helpful i think so we'll have that, we'll have that post that, buddy. very good Paul, thanks for coming back on the show. Good luck yeah, with the book. Thanks so much. Thanks, Phil. And, thanks, um, tune, in, tune in to Paul's uh, uh, show on Unity Online Radio. And yeah, uh, wonderful guests as, as we do here. Thank you all. See you next all time. Right.